What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Probably going to have a conversation with the front office. Mm-hmm. You're trading our clothes away. Um, yeah. yeah. We're gonna, I'm sure a bunch of people are going to have to have conversations with the front office. So Matt, Texas range, the different angles we could take on this, and we have and will continue to in our programming on SNY. Let's just take a moment and talk about the impact of Max Scherzer, the person, the leader, the culture changer for the Mets. When they were able to sign him, when Steve Cohen was able to convince Max Scherzer to become a Met, it gave the team instant credibility with free agents. Scherzer came here and he was such a competitor, such a pro, such a leader, such a model for how to be a professional for his teammates and something that the Mets clubhouse had lacked for so many years since David Wright. Uh, that his impact really was significant in the transition of the Mets into the Steve Cohen era. And of course, he didn't perform in some big games the way he wanted to and the way the Mets and their fans wanted him to. But this is a guy who made an impact. This is a guy who was a real true leader and someone who will be missed. The Mets are getting younger. They acquire another prospect. They'll get more, and that will help them build for the future. But Max Scherzer, in his own way, in his own brief way, was a great Met. Um, regarding the uh, the Max trade, you know, kind of given the the place we're in um, and the um, the odds we're facing, um, you know, it was a strategic decision, and um, you know, we kind of took this opportunity to uh, to kind of serve another goal of the organization, which is to uh, enhance the farm system. So, but I do want to be clear that it's not a uh, it's not a rebuild, um, it's not a fire sale, it's not a liquidation. Um, this is just a repurposing of uh, you know Steve's investment in the club. Um, and uh, kind of shifting that investment from the team into the organization. 17 chances. Here's the 0-1. Acuna hammers a breaking ball deep to left field. This one is grand. It's a four-run homer for Luis Angel Acuna. His first long ball of the year. He made all of it work. A grand slam for Acuna. And Frisco leads it 9-0. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, July the 30th, 2023. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and do the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. You can get me on Instagram. Talking Mets No G, and I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network as well as RisingApple.com. Well, there's a lot of change in the air from when we last met here on the Talking Mets podcast. That includes this show, so really, I'll start off real quick, housekeeping issue. So after last week, we broke up the show into a couple of segments. We did the 
Obviously, the segment about trading Pete Alonzo, which didn't go over well with a lot of you guys. Little did you know that might be more real than you think. Um, and then we did the alumni segment with Bill Pulsifer, and I thought, you know, this is pretty cool. People get to parse it out, and I was asking for some feedback on Twitter. So going forward, starting today, we are going to do the following on every show. You're going to get each segment individually to download, and you could download the entire show if you so want to. So it's up to you. Segments, download the entire show, have fun with it, do what you want with it. I think it's a good way to piecemeal what you like, maybe what you're less interested in. Also, what kind of content is more timely than others. Even during the offseason, sometimes I'll do a breakdown on a player, and you know that is fun. Maybe you don't have to re- listen to that right away. You want to listen to the instant reaction on a trade or a free agent signing or whatever. And then obviously throughout the the year, we do different segments all over the place. So we're going to be entering into probably in the history of this program since it became Talking Mets, oh, you know, eight years ago, maybe one of the more interesting and for a radio perspective challenging times. You all know what happened over the last 24 to 48 hours, well, 72 hours. You know, David Robertson trade was the first shot at the bow that the Mets were not going to try to beat the odds, despite what fan graphs had out there, them being about 17 to 20% probability to make the playoffs. I think you and I, look, let's just rewind a little bit back to the Subway Series. Tuesday night, Justin Verlander goes out there. Mets win a great Subway Series game 9-3. to Yes, they lost the second game to Carlos Rodon. But after splitting the games in Yankee Stadium, you would think Nats, Kansas City, Chance to you know win six out of seven, maybe all seven, get back to five hundred, perhaps or close to it, and away you go into August. There was a small glimmer, I think, in everybody's mind that the Mets were going to stand pat. And look, I have been in the camp. I told you this all last week, all the way back to when it looked like selling was going to be a possibility. I'm not really interested in gifting players to other organizations for just some lottery ticket or for some middle reliever. A lot of the times when the Mets have sold in other seasons, like 2017, 2018, partly because of their reluctance or inability to add money to the deal. I mean, this is the new thing. I mean, the league is great and the media is part and parcel to partner with them and putting out these things that say, well, for you to get this, you got to do that. Even though sometimes it just, I mean, the fact that there's any money to be given to the Texas Rangers for Max Scherzer drives me bananas because you want to win, you want to compete, you want Scherzer, you got to pay for it. And it's going to cost you. But that's another conversation for another day. So all along, the Mets would do these deals, whether it be Jerry's Familia, Jay Bruce, you could go back on and on and on. And they'd be like, hey, I don't want to pay this salary. You know, here he is. What's the best I can get? And sometimes you would get, you know, a, a piece. But let's face it, Steven Nagosik was one of those pieces that was acquired in one of those deals. I think it was the Addison Reed deal. Uh, you know, it's a it's a four A guy. I mean, it's a lottery ticket that more than likely, or a scratch off that more than likely, when you uncover what it's worth, it's not worth much. Maybe it's worth a buck. Maybe it's worth a couple of bucks. Very rarely is it a win for life. So I'm like one of those guys that are like, hey, I'm not into doing that because they're already over the luxury luxury tax. How much money are they going to save? 
I mean, it isn't my money. I know it's Steve Cohen's money, but knowing the owner, knowing the situation, at this point, you're so far into the deep end of the financial pool. Like, there's nothing other than stripping the whole damn thing down that is going to save you. But then I listened to the rationale behind the Robertson deal, and that one didn't bother me. Uh, you know, look, it's a closer. There are other guys that could go out there and get three outs of the ninth. Not as good. It definitely decreases the probability of them making the postseason or making any kind of run. But look, I get it. The guy's a free agent. You can resign him back, similar to what you did with Jay Bruce all those years ago. And I understand it. And the Mets gave you some of the process of these kids that they got from Miami, uh, Marco Vargas and Ronald Hernandez, where whether they're using TrackMan or analytics, bat-to-ball contact analytics, that these are guys that may be lottery tickets that are a little bit better than your average scratch-off here. Let's put it that way. Still, you don't know. These guys are probably five years away. Hey, maybe they're assets just to go out and acquire Juan Soto at some point. You know, that that could very well be it. Marlins don't have the best farm system and so on and so forth. By the way, I should have done this properly, you know, from a radio perspective. We will hear more about these prospects because I think comparison to the Scherzer trade, um, these two guys are less known. But Eli Sussman from uh, a very reputable uh, Marlins site called Fish on First is going to be joining me later on in the program, and you'll hear a little bit about what the Marlins' perspective is on these kids. So anyway, so that happens. And look, I figured, okay, if that's the case, it's going to be Canna, Fam, you know, maybe Brooks Raley, maybe Adovino. I could live, you know, although I think that some of these guys are good pieces for the 2024 club. I have been consistent time and time again that you, you signed Scherzer, you signed Verlander, and you gave them two- to three-year deals depending on how you look at the options, to be part of a bridge to a better day from a prospect perspective, but you want to compete and win at a high level, and the only way you could do it is with that dynamic one-two punch at the top of the rotation. So then I'm out yesterday, and I'm not in a great sell area, and all of a sudden I get an alert from Mets Fix, the great Jeffrey Ballone, our good friend, he's been on the program, that there's a deal for Max Scherzer that's been agreed to between the Mets and the Rangers, and I'm like, well, wow. Now, now I'm trying to get sell signal. I'm trying to figure out the Rangers' top prospects. I'm texting a friend in baseball. And, you know, everybody wants Jack Leiter. You know, nobody knows what Jack Leiter really is other than he's Al's son and they love Al. So I love how, how fans make trades. I saw people say, ah, this Jack Leiter's not in this deal. It's a horrible deal. Like, Jack Leiter hasn't really been that good. I mean, he's just not that good right now in the minor leagues. I'm not saying he won't be something, but he's not that good. Took his father a long time, by the way. Took his father almost seven or eight years to get going, you know, that's a different story. There were injuries and everything like that. And the ironic part is it never even hit me when I see this uh, Luis Angel Acuna. I saw the name Acuna. I never thought that there was a relation. I don't pay attention to the the minor leagues that in depth and certainly not the Rangers' top prospects. But uh, when I see that and then the emotions of it's on, it's off, Scherzer needs some financials worked out. And I thought my mind is blown that not only is Steve Cohen paying about $32 million of this deal, but also he's saving money on the deal. I, I, they were doing the math about how paying into this is still saving money because the money that obviously the, the $22 million or so that the Rangers are picking up is really a 90% tax. So it's close to, you know, 40 something million dollars. So they're saving some money, you know, this luxury tax money there. I get it. But you heard the commentary and I didn't really 
buy too much into Scherzer after his last start against the Nats about I need to talk to the front office. It certainly was a shot at the bow to this team that Robertson was traded. I think because the bar has been lowered on the three wild card scenario that the the clubhouse really never thought that they weren't going to do anything but go for it. You know, maybe some guys around the fringes. But I think as they got closer and as they had this soft schedule, which they've already taken advantage of, you know, three out of four to the Nats this weekend. Now they go to Kansas City, 50 and 55 on the year. You know, they figure, hey, we're we're going to probably be around the rest of the year because all the conversations, when Cohen is having these conversations, when he's recruiting these big free agents like Verlander, like Scherzer, Part of that is that we're going to contend every year. We're not punting. We're not rebuilding. We're not doing any of that. Not to mention a guy like Lindor that's got a long-term contract in here and Pete Alonzo who is up for free agency after next year. So when you see the Robertson thing, that raises your eyebrow and starts to get you anxious. But, and you could hear it, you could hear it in all the clips that you've heard out there, when they get to the clubhouse yesterday afternoon to play the Nats, middle afternoon, and they hear that they're, you know, co-ace, if you want to call him. I and mean, whether you like the way he's pitched this year or not, he's their co-ace with Verlander, has been traded. Well, now this gets serious. And the R word, something that we have talked about on this show before. We talked about it recently. We talked about it last year. We've talked about it throughout the point in time when Scherzer was signed to a short-term deal with DeGrom's opt-out, with Verlander signing last December to a short-term deal, that there is a possibility once this thing sees itself through with these contracts, with these pitchers who are 39, 40 years old, that the Mets might be in a position where they're not that good. And it may take a rebuild at that point to get back to where you want to get. You can't just spend money every year and put together a competitive team. I think you could put together a team that could compete for a wild card in a three wild card scenario where 85, 86, 87 wins will do it. And if you go back to wild card history, and you look at the standings going back 20 years, more than likely, if you win about 85 games to 87 games, there's a chance you're going to be in the playoffs. I mean, the history is the history. Unless something really crazy happens, the history is the history. So now you're looking at a situation where how can you not think it's a rebuild? And look, Billy Epler could go in there and use all this. And I, and I told you guys this last deadline. Billy Epler is inside baseball, Mr. Probabilistic Outcome, and he is not charismatic. He's bland. He's direct. He's a lot of inside baseball verbiage. When things are not good, I warned everybody, he's going to be the target. And sure enough, things haven't been good. And and the way he his lack of charisma or maybe his inside baseball bluntness doesn't really impress anybody. It creates a lot of angst with the, the fan base. But for him to say it's a reboot instead of a rebuild or a transition, whatever word you want to call it, look, I have news for you guys here on this program. If it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. You Maybe it's not a tear-down five-year rebuild we're facing here right now. But there's a lot of smoke about the Mets taking a number of offers of Verlander. It looks like they're very motivated to pay down money at a, in a big way. So if a team like the Dodgers, a likely spot that with a page six wife like Kate Upton, which Verlander has, 
that they'd love to go, a team that was in the mix when Verlander was looking to sign. The Mets beat the Dodgers twice to free agents, first with Max Scherzer, second with Verlander. By the way, Otani would be number three, and I don't know if that's possible now after what happened. But seeing that, you have to think that there is a likelihood that Verlander's last start was today. Maybe trading him would be more complicated because you've got an option, not just next year. You know, Scherzer was kind of a free agent. He had that option. So it's a little bit more complex doing the Verlander deal. But you have to start to say, players aren't stupid. Fans aren't stupid. Transition, rebuild, reboot. It's all the same. It means taking a step back to take a step forward. How long you take that step back is a whole different conversation. You want to say it's 2024? What I didn't like, and there's buzzwords, and I always tell you guys this, whether you're listening to Buck or you're listening to Epler, going back to the offseason last year, they don't lie to you. You know, Brody Van Wagenen was salesy, but you could read through his salesiness as well. There was a lack of forthrightness in Sandy Alderson, and Omar Minaya was not a good public speaker. But these guys, Billy Epler, he doesn't lie to you. And when he says next year that they're not going to have as much pressure, that they're not going to be in the same position that they've been the last couple of years, which is kind of World Series or bust because of the age and the free agency and the Cohen money, that tells you they're taking a step back. And even David Lennon wrote that they'll probably be a little bit more conservative in the free agent market. And quite honestly, when you start to look at the roster for 2024, all right, and you have, you know, Forget this, uh, Luis Angel Acuna and what he could be in the offense. A good, you know, at the very least, he might be a good. Uh, I don't want to say component piece better than that. A solid offensive piece in the McNeil mode. Maybe you could look at borderline all star, very productive, tons of speed, versatility, great, great aspects about him to get excited about. Um, you know. You look at this roster, and you trade Verlander, no Scherzer. Carrasco's gone. He's out there. You got, you know, sure, you have some of the young kids that we've talked about that, you know, possibly could uh, hit the rotation, the the Vazels uh, and, 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 you know, Blade Tidwell at some point. Uh, you've got uh, Tyler Stewart, Dominic Hamill, Christian Scott. They're interesting. You know, maybe... Two of those five guys could could make a, an impact, but I don't know if you could count on them for next year. And at, and, and you got to think they're going to be back in the rotations types, six or seven in a pecking order, similar to what McGill and Peterson kind of were as they came up. I mean, who's going to pitch for this team next year? You got Kodai Senga, maybe Jose Quintana if they don't trade him, and question mark, question mark, question mark. And by the way, you and I know you need to go six, seven, eight, nine deep to even remotely have a shot at competing, and the Mets don't have those guys that are big league ready. This could be ugly. I mean, if they trade Verlander and and Quintana in the next couple of days, do you know how ugly this is going to get in the next two months? Now, that is that a retreat? Is that a reboot? You know, that's what rebuilding teams do. They get clobbered, and then maybe they get a top 10 pick next year, and I don't know how that works. I, off the top of my head, I know that there's the luxury tax, and unless the Mets are going to strip it down, which they're saying they're not going to do. So they're taking money from Peter to pay Paul, which is the big league team, to put it into the farm system. Now, easily the Mets could go out this winter and use some of this capital uh, to go inquire Juan Soto. And then all of a sudden you're looking at the whole thing differently. Like, 
wow, they're smart. They're not looking to punt. They're just looking to take assets and, and move things around. And I could see that happening. Yeah, you could go out and say, Mike, but there are free agents. I mean, could you rebuild the rotation again if you if you trade Quintana and Verlander? I mean, you'd have to build basically four-fifths of the rotation. I mean, Aaron Nola, uh, James Paxton, Luis Severino, Blake Snell, Julio Urias, they're not taking two- or three-year deals. These are five-year deals these guys are going to get. Now you start to add payroll and risky contracts for pitchers. You know, Scherzer was risky. When I, when this first came out, if you go back and listen to that show when he signed, I was more in favor of taking $43 million and split it between Gosman and Robbie Ray at that time. Gosman's been pretty good. You know, I, you know I, I was looking for them to spread the money out. A lot of that goes back to not fully understanding the power and the, the level that Steve Cohen wanted to do financially to put a competitive team on the field. And then once I understood, I'm like, okay, let's go for this. Let's, this doesn't matter anymore. And does it still not matter? I'm assuming that's the case. Everybody in the media seems to think it's a fait accompli that Cohen's just going to spend and spend and spend. But then I look at what's out there. I'm like, you know, they were pretty fortunate the best they had. Scherzer and Verlander back-to-back, and the Grom then hit the free agent market if they wanted to sign him, and they didn't get they didn't get him. They, they pivoted to Verlander. You don't have many times in baseball history that free agency works out like that for you, that those players are available, and that you were able to sit down and outbid and outsell a team like the Dodgers, who is in L.A., a desirable place for athletes to live and play, who has had a, a Benchmark success for well over a decade, oodles of money, and you were able to beat them despite the fact that you're a new owner. Yeah, you got oodles of money, but that you're playing basically outside a garbage dump. Let's call it like it is until they pick it up. And you're the second team in town. Not often that you could pull that off. And depending on how interested they are in Otani, and you got to think they will be, to do that as a trifecta three winters in a row, that's going to be hard especially coming off if they tear this thing apart, which is possible. So you could call it whatever you want. You want to call it what Billy Epler calls it. You want to call it what I've said, the rebuild. Rebuilds don't have to be Houston Astros, Chicago Cub, Baltimore Oriole. Let's tear this thing down and be bad, 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 and, and basically be the Washington Generals for five years. You know, they don't have to do that, but... I think you're looking at a Mets team next year. Best case scenario, that's a team that's in the muck and maybe sneaks in for a wild card and has a fun season at City Field and maybe you get to see some shining stars like Alvarez and Mauricio and Acuna come up and, and give you hope. And then as, as things develop middle of the year, maybe there's a trade to have to fortify or opportunistic move to bring a star in like a Soto. You know, who knows? I mean, that looks like where this is going. And that's a much different situation. Now, does that mean they're going to be better off in the long run? I could understand that. I could understand that. It was always difficult to fathom a team spending at a high level and rebuilding at the same time and doing both well without there being some sort of dysfunction, whether it be on the development side or the you know free agent side where you spend money and it just it doesn't work out. I mean, this, the crazy part here, guys is that they're 50-55 and 55 here on July 30th. They went, what, 8-18 and in June? If there's five games, and I could pluck five freaking games from, you know, one in April, one in May, one or, definitely in June I could pick a whole bunch, one or two in June, 
and maybe one even this month. And we're not even having this conversation. You know what we're talking about? Like the Chicago Cubs who basically did what the Mets couldn't do, which is a team that reeled off, you know, they reeled off, what, eight or nine in a row? And now they're in a race. That's what you're waiting for the Mets to do. It never happened. So all the hand-wringing, all the directions, how the future goes, really is only about five games. If the Mets are 55-50, and we're not having this conversation. We're just not. And that's the crazy part about it. And that's where you're really looking at this and you're hoping that the plan isn't a fly-by-seat-of-the-pants type of thing. We know that Cohen wants a farm system. He's made it clear from day one. We know he wants to win. No other time in the history of baseball have you been able to do both, and they've tried to do both. How they're doing both in the next iteration, it can't be at the high level because they've already tried it, and they haven't completely rebuilt that farm system. I mean, they can't even get relievers out of the farm system. They can't get you know replacement starters. You usually have to take a, a step back, and they kind of are preparing you for that. What do I see over the next couple of days? Nothing would surprise me at this point. You guys all laughed about trading Pete Alonso, but if I'm Pete Alonso, you don't think he's going into that front office and saying, hey, I know what you, I can't do a darn thing. You have my control for another year. But I was thinking about talking about an extension with you this winter, but now you're rebuilding. Do you think Pete Alonso is going to resign here if they're – 72 and 90 next year and you're waiting for christian scott and tyler stewart or god forbid those five names i threw out earlier hamill and blade tidwell are stinking up the joy to double a you know and you have what do you think you're gonna do you think you're gonna sign scherzer and verlander types every off season you can't do that they don't come available so this is a interesting time And I think anybody who's sitting back and knows 100% what's going to happen next is lying. Anybody who says in the media or fans, ah, they're just going to go out and spend this offseason. You don't know that. And by the way, you could spend. That doesn't mean you're going to get the right players. You had a guy, you know, for all the criticism that has been hurled at Scherzer, I 1,000% agree with Andy Martino. He was a similar to Pedro Martinez back in 2004 with uh, Omar Minaya. He signaled to the rest of the sport the Mets can play with the big boys. Yeah, maybe he was not on the right side of 30, just like Pedro. But you figured he had enough in the tank. He came here. He had an attitude and a mentality that had been missing for so long. And they needed it. It was so much this, you know, cloud over this team's head that you needed special players to break through that yoke I keep talking about that nobody believes, but I believe, well, at least 50% of you believe, based on the poll on Twitter, that it exists. And yeah, maybe this year, you know, the oblique, you know, the the sticky bullshit, excuse me, I shouldn't have said that, bleep that out. All the the nonsense that's out there, I usually never curse, man. I, got, I really got fired up. Um, All the, you know, the little things, the neck and the aches and pains, and he was interview with Tim Healy the other day. He said that he's feeling great. He doesn't know why he's not executing the way he's supposed to execute because father time wins all the time. And we didn't expect it to be this quick. But you you could have saw a scenario where third year was not going to be good. But you figured you'd get a high level the first two years and you just didn't get it past really, uh, you know, August of last year. 
You got four or five really good months. He's not a horrible net. Last year, his statistics from a, 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 a advanced perspective, wins above replacement, was as good as Noah Syndergaard in 2016. And that's with him missing two months on the shelf. It would have been better. Everybody remembers Noah Syndergaard, how dominant he was in 2016. He was the Mets' ace. He started in the postseason game against Madison Bumgarner. Well, Scherzer was as good as him, pretty much. He was as good as DeGrom in 2015. And if he had pitched those other two months, my guess is that you're looking at the same type of performance that Pedro Martinez gave you in that first year in 2005, and everybody loved Pedro. This year, it's not exactly like he's Tom Glavin at the end of the year in in game 162. He's been inconsistent. He's hanging a lot of sliders. You look at basically the difference between Scherzer, who you were getting, and Scherzer, who you have, is the home run ball, which is a hanging slider problem. For the most part. It's a location problem. I would not be surprised where, you know, this shock, you know, when you, it's one thing to think something's going to happen, but when the reality hits you, that shock, I could see, if, and I would bet on Max Scherzer. This is a guy that's a smart guy. He's a smart pitcher. He's a gamer. He's got a, a, a competitive will that will certainly be missed in that clubhouse, and I don't think it will easily be replaced. I wouldn't be surprised he goes to Texas and he looks like vintage Max Scherzer and does some big things for them. And I know it's going to drive the fans crazy and the media is going to do all their gloating, but, you know, that's the risk you take. And hopefully Acuna, you know, look, he could steal bases. He's got some pop. His brother said glowing things about him. I mean, it's his brother basically saying he's better than me at the same age. And, you know, he could play a couple of different positions. Looks like he could be ready for this uh, for the big leagues as early as next year, which will help with winning now. But, I mean, he could also easily be the center of a package for, like I said, I keep throwing Juan Soto's name out there. That's just one name. but Or somebody like that. So, really the thesis of this Open, before we take a break and get to Eli Sussman and talk a little bit about these kids that the Mets got for David Robertson, is... We don't know what's going to happen. Buckle up. This is, I talked about this being a wild roller coaster ride, the back of the cab, because all you could do is sit back and let this roster play out, which is exactly what we had to do all year. And it took us to a place we're not happy with. Now it's even more so where you basically got to sit back and see where Billy Epler is going to take us. Because he wasn't, he was transparent. He didn't lie to us. But he left it open to, we just don't know. It's really going to go by what they want, what their scouting department believes is of value based on the teams that are interested. I mean, we could go to all the fan graphs, prospect lists, pipeline prospect lists, MLB prospect lists. We're not scouts. You're not a scout. I'm not a scout. Just because they have good numbers or bad numbers in the minor leagues. We had Ernie Dove on a couple of weeks ago. There's a lot of reasons for that. Go back and listen to that segment educational piece beyond belief. Somebody actually talks to guys as they go up through the system and not just the blue chippers. And he's not trying to get political points from different people and organizations so that he could get good information for his job. He's just trying to do a good job. Think about that. Just trying to do a good job. You know, we don't know. And I think that this is, if you're a Mets fan, you should be very, very nervous right now because we don't know where this is going. It could be, a. I mean, look, anytime you reboot, it's fun. It's a promise of a better day. That's why GMs make their careers on marketing this stuff. 
But it's scary because you just don't know. They, they could be wildly wrong. You know, Max Scherzer could go out and pitch at, a, at an elite level and help the Rangers get to the World Series and maybe win a World Series. And you think to yourself, well, he could have done that in 2024 for the Mets. Maybe they get close and they sneak into the playoffs this year. You think anybody would want to play the Mets in the short series? Unlikely. I get it. Very unlikely. And I'd done them, so I'm not saying that I was banking on that. There was a part of you, though, don't lie, after the Yankee, the first game at Yankee Stadium, that was thinking, all right, this is coming around. What went wrong here? A lot of stuff. We'll get to that on the on the on the break after we we talk to Eli Sussman, because uh, Steve Gelbs made some comments that I want to address before the game yesterday. But in the end, this is a rebuild. I don't care what they call it. May not be a teardown, liquidation sale rebuild. It is a rebuild, and rebuilds take many forms. They take a one year form, a five year form, an infinity form. It is a rebuild. Don't let anybody. BS you. And I don't know. You know, you could say they keep everybody else together, bring Diaz back, sign some bullpen arms, replace Scherzer with Urias or Otani or, I don't know, this Yamamoto guy from Japan. And all of a sudden you're like, well, Mike, it's the same team. It's just no Max Scherzer. Okay. I'm not sure that's what they're going to do. When he says that the expectations are going to be lowered next year, that's a buzzword. Pay attention to the words. Just like I yelled at everybody, listen to what Steve Cohen is saying. Don't listen to the words and make up your opinion without listening to what they're saying because then you're going to be disappointed, you're going to be wrong, and that is not how you comprehend and disseminate information. That's unhealthy, and that's why you have anger and frustration, and and then this whole hobby that you have, which is Mets baseball, becomes much worse for you than anything else in your life. So, All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, Eli Sussman, Fish on First. Who are these kids they got for David Robertson? Are these lottery tickets? Or is it Larry Anderson for Jeff Bagwell? Who knows? You're listening to the Talking Bets Podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What do you like about the things that you're getting? Um, You know, with Vargas, um, left-handed bat, middle of the diamond, shortstop profile right now. Um, elite contact, elite decision making, um, has above average exit velocity for the level. Um, he's young. That's another good, uh, you know, good quality, and he's really performing well um, at the level. And then with Hernandez, um, switch hitting catcher, above average arm strength, another guy with above average exit velocity, um, and really good decision making in the batter's box. And, you know, we've had scouts at that level um, looking at some of the players and 
think one of the advantages also is, you know, we play them so much um, through extended spring and complex league ball that, um, you know, they get familiar with our players, we get familiar with their players, and um, these are guys that some of our field staff um, had kind of pointed out as well. So um, we just did some tracking and, and uh, you know, we're ultimately able to end up with both players. We're back and joining me. Who would have thought on opening day, two guys who are watching a baseball game, Eli Sussman, Fish on First, Mike Silva, talking Mets. If I said which one of these guys would be selling, which one of these guys would be buying, 100 fans, Eli, 100 out of 100 would have said you. But the other way around, how are you doing? And uh, it's been a while, I'm sure, for uh, someone who, you know, covers Marlins baseball, has been covering it for a while, to be in the position that uh, the Marlins are in. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me, Mike. Really, only one other time, even say maybe two in the last 20 years where they've been in this position. In 2016, at the deadline, they still felt they were kind of in it. And then in 2020, they were, but that was uh, expanded postseason and um, very unusual circumstances there. So this does feel very foreign to the Marlins. And I'm somebody that usually enters the year pretty pessimistic. So me in particular, I did not foresee them being in this buying position. And especially with the Mets being on the other side of it, I thought the Mets had put together a great team. Um, so many, so many big names at so many different positions. And of course, coming off great year that they had just in 2022. But This has been such a fascinating twist. You know, the Marlins uh, coming into the season had uh depending on what publication, what website you're looking at, the 18th best farm system. But I'll tell you what, uh, and we've talked about this on the show. Last year, they lost, what, 40 or 41 one-run games. I kept saying the Marlins of that team could be a low 80s team, close games. You do a couple of different things, and all of a sudden, you lose 90 games, and you go from losing 90 games to winning you know, 85, 86 games. It looks like that's happening for them. Now, this trade, you know, clearly the Marlins needed some bullpen help. Um, having the kind of farm system they have, knowing that they have a very strict budget and you have to use those prospects really for your big league roster, how much pain does this David Robertson trade put on the Marlins? Because if you're going to go for it, even in the vein that the Marlins are going for it, there's always some pain that typically you give up for the most part in a deal. Yeah, it was sternly anticipated that they would make a move like this for the pen and specifically a righty reliever and specifically somebody that they could trust in high leverage spots. And Robertson checks basically every single box. The thing is, I thought if they were going to make this move, it'd be for somebody with control beyond this year. And Robertson, obviously a pending free agent, and he's somebody in recent years where he's been perfectly happy being a hired gun. So there's certainly no strong likelihood that he'll be back beyond 2023. This might only be... 20 regular season innings and then if the team doesn't make the postseason then what so this is um to make to trade any substantial prospects for a rental reliever is is risky there's a chance in a small sample that he doesn't really move the needle but at the same time this guy he really fit the needs that this team had and with the players they moved um, obviously guys that were playing rookie ball and both Marco Vargas and Ronald Hernandez guys that were not going to help this team in 2023 or 2024 or probably not even in 2025 there's there's a lot of pressure on this team to um, stay in the race until the very end. I would say it's not necessarily playoffs or bust, but they really need to captivate their local fan base by staying in this race all the way to the end. And this guy in Robertson, he incrementally helps them do that. But um, I think any way you look at the value that they gave up, and especially considering that they did tag down all the money 
that Robertson was owed for the rest of this year, which is no chump change. Um, I think the Mets got a very good value on their side of it as well. Yeah. So Marco Vargas seems to be the one that is most interesting. You know, he's in the uh, rookie ball, you know, last year, uh, Dominican summer league. And a lot of times, you know, specifically for the Mets, you don't really pay attention to these prospects. I mean, I typically don't maybe high a, you start paying attention to them. Double a gets serious. Um, But Vargas is the one that's interesting lefty you know both of these guys have good analytics whether it be track man or exit velocity what do you know about this guy because I, I think there's something here that a lot of the fans on the surface the talk radio heads on the surface not interested is it Jeff Bagwell for Larry Anderson I don't know I'm hoping it is you're not um but Vargas is interesting what do you know about him he in a system that has struggled so much developing hitters in recent years he's kind of an an anomaly because from the very first day that he set foot in the DSL last year, he was hitting, he was hitting and even more so than the batted ball results. uh, What we were hearing is that his plate discipline and his awareness of the strike zone, his, um, his reluctance to chase pitches out of the zone was so beyond his years for somebody that was one of the, even relative to rookie ball, he's been a lot younger than his competition. And now it, it manifests even coming to the States and how often he draws walks. He'd probably like to, make more uh, hard contact than he is right. He'd probably get more. He'd want more pitches to hit. He probably wants to swing more than he currently is, but this is a player that just has a great understanding of the zone and he's going to make the right baseball decision with every single pitch. Um, So he has really skyrocketed quite a bit as a guy that wasn't even regarded all that much when they signed him. They didn't necessarily give him a big bonus to bring him into the organization in the first place. Um, he has popped out in a very rapidly in this organization. I think as we were getting towards the end of the year, he was making a case to be one of their very best hitting prospects, period. I think that speaks more to the fact that there just aren't a lot of guys in this system that project as real everyday starting caliber hitters. And he's a guy that he has that chance. Um, A big piece of his value will be where he fits defensively. He's played quite a bit of shortstop to this point. I think there's quite a bit of skepticism about him actually being a shortstop at the highest level someday. But as long as he sticks on the infield, there's immense value to that as well. He's a player that I think you learn even more about if they do, he does get challenged to the low A level. If they actually push him up to full season ball before the end of the year and he faces even stiffer competition, if he continues to get on base at such a high rate over there, then yeah, you have him in conversations as potentially a top 100 prospect in, in all the baseball. It's been such a quick rise for him. Yeah, for a couple of months of David Robertson, Eli Sussman, Fish on First. They did a great job, those guys over at Fish on First, breaking down these two prospects. If uh, you're a Mets fan and now you're all about the prospects for the last two months, fishonfirst.com, uh, at uh, Fish on First on Twitter. Uh, you know what's interesting about Ronald Hernandez is that not as many people are talking about him, but how many times do you get a catcher? Now, whether he stays there or not is a different story. Both sides of the plate, power, above average throwing arm. I know with the new rules, things are going to be a little bit different how you assess catchers. Maybe the game calling, the catch and throw. You know, things are changing rapidly, Eli, before our our eyes with pitch calm and the ability for pitchers to call their own game. Now it's like, hey, get behind the plate, frame, throw the ball hard to second base, throw it quick, good pop time, and that's it. You know, it's all the other the rules that we grew up watching are, are kind of gone, and and Hernandez seems to fit the modern, at least from the great analysis you guys did over there, the modern catcher post-pitch clock rules. Right. 
I can start with the defense. I am pretty confident that he's going to stick at catcher moving forward. So that's a big piece of the equation right there, a switch hitting catcher and Ronald Hernandez at Venezuela. This is a guy that was more hyped up from the very beginning when the Marlins signed him. He was one of their bigger players that they brought in during that international class a couple of years ago. So this year he is putting up really great numbers. In fact, they're similar, if not quite a little bit better than Marco Vargas. The same thing where he's, he's great at identifying borderline pitches and taking them and getting on base. The, the, what makes it a little trickier is that he is repeating the FCL after already playing there last year. And for that reason, we were kind of hoping at Fish on First that he would already get challenged to the low A level by this point in the year. It's been strange because the Marlins don't really have a real catching prospect that's blocking him for whatever reason. We were kind of confused about this assignment. He seemed overqualified for this level. And uh, yeah, so you can look at it a couple of different ways where he's now taking care of business down there, but at the same time, he probably should be because this is a lot of the competition he was already hitting against the year before. Yeah, a guy that was very comfortably within the Marlins top 30 prospects and pretty high up among just their catching prospects as well. Um, probably their second best catching prospect behind only Joe Mack, who was a very early round pick a couple of years ago, he's much more than a throw-in. He is another piece of this puzzle that at least defensively, if you're a catcher, you're going to get every single chance you get as you go up the system to get those opportunities and play. And that, yeah, there are some things to like about the offensive profile as well, just because he's putting himself in, in good counts. Um, this is a player, especially where I think you'll learn a lot more about him once he does move up a little bit and faces slightly tougher pitching, but he is, um, yeah, he is somebody that you should also be pretty excited about. And he's another notable piece of this deal for sure. So there was some cringe. So when you got the news about the deal, you're excited about Robertson, but you cringed a little bit because, again, the Marlins are in a position where, unlike the Mets, you dump a couple of prospects and you're wrong for a rental. This has repercussions above and beyond, unless the budget's changing. I don't know what's going down in South Florida over there. The Miami Heat spend money like crazy. The Marlins, not so much. So there was a little bit of pain when you got the news about this deal. Yes, yes. Simple as that, Um, especially when it is for a reliever. No matter how dependable and experienced they are, as Robertson is, like he's been there and done it so many times. He's been traded midseason so many times and made good transitions with his new team. I think that's a part of it where he's been through this before and he is he's usually excelled with the change of scenery when it's been appropriate. So if there was any rental reliever they were going to do it in this is pretty much it it was either him or josh Hader, and uh, we don't know if josh Hader is going to yeah. be moved there's a pretty short list of guys that i think you can understand the perspective of it and with this marlins team we could just start it when i mentioned at the beginning i was skeptical about this team entering the year um as unlucky as they were in one run games last year they've been super lucky for most of this year the underlying numbers say that they're right around an average team overall if not a little bit below average and if i was to make a guess um their moves over these next couple of days will determine, will have a long way of determining whether or not they can hold onto a playoff spot. They're actually now on the outside looking in at this exact moment. So yeah, the fact that they are pushing these chips in for what is by no means a safe bet to actually make it into uh, the playoffs, it is gutsy. And uh, the focus is a lot on simply the feel that the fan base really needs this and that if they are able to just stick really close to the race all the way through, that that's going to make a difference in terms of how many people show out to the ballpark. Uh, they just had their biggest home crowd 
in six years. They just had a, a massive showing this past weekend, um, a combination of factors. But I, I think some people have are noticing and appreciating that they are at least this far in the race. So the front office and the ownership as well probably goes all the way to the top level of getting Bruce Sherman to sign off on taking this money. Um, yeah, they understand that they do have an opportunity here. So it's it's exciting that they're trying to take advantage of it as, as best they can. All right. As we wrap up, I'm going to throw something at you. We had this. I had this conversation on the show last week. I'm going to make you Kim Ang right now. I'm going to be Billy Epler. I look at the Marlins and Robertson was a perfect fit. And when we talked about this concept, and this is fun with, you know, we're just having fun here. Um, I looked at the offense and I'm like, this team needs a bat. And that's expensive. I mean, where you look and what the Marlins have done really, really well is have a lot of pitching. Their rotation is playoff caliber. Maybe there's some work to be done with some of the young guys, but they've done a really good job and they're cost controlled. And even Alcantara is cost controlled. If you really think about it, that's a great contract, very forward thinking contract. Maybe he's having a down year. Maybe there's something more going on there. But if I said, okay, open for business, here's Pete Alonzo pay down this year's contract, knowing that he's arb eligible. Okay. Maybe you trade him in the off season. If you don't want to play into that game, would you give me Yuri Perez for Pete Alonzo? Try to make a, make a playoff run. I'll pay down the contract. Mm. Here's Pete Alonso. There's a bat for you at first base. The best bat you're going to have. South Florida, would you do it? Let me tell you. I looked at this. If you guys are listening, Eli's face just lit up like, oh, I don't know about that. So what do you yeah. what do you think? <laughs> Not it, Max Meyer. Max Meyer's hurt. I want Yuri Perez. Yeah, yeah. No. Maybe Max Meyer you do, right? Yeah, Max Meyer is. That's a different conversation. <laughs> yeah, with Perez, he has made himself pretty untouchable. They're going to need him just to get into this postseason. Fortunately, he should be back on the way into their rotation by the end of August. At some point, yeah, we've, we've had these conversations. We've had these conversations about Juan Soto as well, um, because he's in the same contract as Pete Alonso, where it's just one more year beyond this year, but it makes so much of a difference. Would you do it? And yeah, I'm over the camp that I just, I wouldn't do it. I mean, unless it's, you're getting back somebody with, this is a team that even if they increase their spending, I, I don't think they're ever going to be. They're not, they don't have any remote chance of keeping these guys from free agency. So if they're already just a year and a half away, um, like, I, I just can't do it. It'd have to be somebody with a little bit more control. And um, they're in a tough spot, though, because you touched on it, and I'll admit it as well, this farm system is in rough shape right now, especially right. At, this, at this moment. And that's why a lot of Mets fans are disappointed by the trade. They're like, why would we be excited about getting prospects from a team that doesn't have a lot? But it sounds like these were the few that were promising that, that they got. Sorry to interrupt on that. Yeah, so they still have some minor league pitching to maneuver with. You mentioned Max Meyer. That's one. I, I just got done watching Jake Eater as well, who is, had his best start of the season right in advance of the trade deadline. But um, these guys are like the borderline top 100 prospects in all of baseball. It's going to be tough to bid against some of these other contenders that have frankly done a better job of developing and winning at the big league level. Uh, this is, um, yeah, they, they are in a, it's a dangerous place for this Marlins team. And that that's another reason why there's a lot of focus on winning this year, because they know that beyond this year, the, the it's not a super rosy outlook. They have the start. They're relying so much on these starting pitchers, um, especially led by Sandy and Perez, but including a lot of other guys, that's going to be the key for this team uh, moving forward to keep those guys healthy and to like live up to their potential because there are just a lot of holes and I'm not sure how they plug all those holes at the same time. You see now this is a Mets thing. Well, well now you just gave me something to think about. I'm a little worried. Alcantara's had a bad year. Is there something under the hood going on there with that reasonable contract with the Mets accumulating prospects, the other flip side, would you take at the end of the season, 
and I'll contra to the Mets deal depending on what capital they're willing to give you. Maybe I dangle a Brett Beatty in front of you or something along one of these prospects. Maybe we'll give you back the two guys you just traded. What about Alcantara? Which could you see him being on the market? And as if he's healthy, and you can answer that question as well, what you guys are suspecting. If I'm Billy Epler, if I want to contend next year, maybe that's the way to get back, especially because you're paying Texas to have Scherzer. All options are going to have to be on the table this offseason. I, I really think that Perez and Alcantara, they're kind of in their own category. I think those are the two real untouchables in this entire organization right now. I think the um, the spicier question and the one that I think is a more realistic big possibility is what they're going to do with Jazz Chisholm after this year, knowing that he still has a lot of club control remaining. He's still so talented, but he doesn't stay on the field. He's showing that he can outplay two different positions at a very high level. Um, that That's going to be an interesting one to go into. And I guess on the pitching side, it's, like I said, everybody else outside of those two. With Jesus Lazardo, he's had a really great year as well. He's going to be a player that's he's going to be extremely expensive, not that far yeah. from now, but yet he still has club control remaining, um, where I think that's they have difficult decisions to make on somebody like Lozardo because he could bring back so much in return. They got him for a rental Starling Marte and his stock has yeah. so much since then. Um, that, that's kind of the one big, that'd be the bold thing that potentially they do during the offseason. Lozardo sending him somewhere to get a star caliber or to get several everyday caliber hitters and return something creative like that. And he seems to have figured it out a lot of command and control issues now he's he seems to have figured out. There's another name, you know. When you look at it, there's another match potentially, and you know, obviously Kim Ang and Billy Epler have already made a trade. Maybe you go that route and all that stuff. So it's really interesting. So what do you got, Eli Sussman? Fish on first. They did a great job. I'm going to put out the link on Twitter of breaking down these two prospects. The most thorough job. Not easy to find blogs outside of the New York Boston market sometimes that do great work. These guys do. So what do you got coming up other than? playoff watching you know i'm a little jealous here i should be the one doing the playoff watching but you know what it's nice seeing hard work pay off and it's this is what it's all about this is the fun part eli so what do you guys got coming up the next oh six to eight weeks oh i mean i mean so much every single series we do these live stream preview shows that have done very well on both youtube and twitter um so that's twice a week every single week we have um big on credentialed coverage with my staff in miami every single home game and a lot of these upcoming road trips as well this is kind of unprecedented where I'm going to have guys in the press box for about wow. 25 of the next 28 games. You'll be at City Field? Will you be um, at City Field? At the end of the season? Um, yeah, we're expecting wow. to. That's all the way in September. Awesome. But yeah, that's the expect- expectation as well. But we got people going to um, LA and San Diego and Cincinnati upcoming series. Um, this is, awesome. for, for the Marlins, this is a pretty special opportunity. We don't know exactly if they're going to be in this position again and when they are. So we got to take advantage of it. So we have, we're going to have boots on the ground. We're going to have um, and, uh, just a whole lot of coverage in between on our website and on our streams. And we appreciate you having me on too. No problem. Thank you, Eli. Have a great Sunday. Uh, wish it was under different circumstances, but you be well. And, and thanks for your time. Of course. And... That's Eli Sussman, fish on first. Interesting stuff. Like I said in the beginning, who would have thought 100 out of 100 fans, forget about Mets fans, who would be the seller, who would be the buyer? Mike Silva and talking Mets, the sellers. Eli Sussman, the buyer. That is humble fish on first. Great stuff. Listen, getting press credentials, doing things independently after SB Nation. Got to give the guy a ton of credit. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Wrap up your listening to Talking Mets podcast. Back and more right after this.
Steve Gelbs is with us. Steve is in the clubhouse every day and probably has a much better handle on the dynamics down there than we do. Steve, how do you read what transpired over the last four months? Yeah, you know, guys, from day one, really, something just felt different about this group than last year's group, a little more disconnected, uh, not as close-knit. And I think one of the, the misconceptions and and. Uh, talking points that has probably been misstated is that, you know, why is this team, which is essentially the same as last year's team, performing so differently? This is not the same team as last year's team. And I think you can point specifically to the pitching staff. We're talking about Max Scherzer being traded. Last year, how many times did we show a shot in the dugout of Max Scherzer, Chris Bassett, Taiwan Walker, Carlos Carrasco, that group talking after each one of their starts, conversing about how to get better, clearly having a great relationship. We haven't shown those shots at all this season. It's a different mix. That's not saying that any of these guys are bad guys, but sometimes the chemistry isn't quite what it was, and I can sense that from day one in that clubhouse. I think also you know, Edwin Diaz, a huge, huge part of it, not just on the field, but a great clubhouse guy. Eduardo Escobar got off to a tough start and was unable to be that same guy in the clubhouse and ultimately was removed. So you know, this, this idea that it's the exact same team is incorrect, and I think it showed out there. I, you know, I think oftentimes in, in this day and age, especially with analytics, you know, people underestimate how important team chemistry is and how important the right mix is for whatever reason, this season was not the right mix. And I think when you look at what the Mets are doing right now, and you guys spoke to it, uh, it's clear that they've, they've changed courses here. And I think you can expect more moves to be made, maybe some more moves that, that raise people's eyebrows. I commend the front office and, quite frankly, Steve Cohen's ownership right now by not going halfway. I, you know, I, I love the show Breaking Bad, right? Um, if you're familiar with that show, there's going half measures and full measures, right? They talk about you can't go half measure. And I think that this this group decided we are not going to half measure this thing. We are going to you know, tear down what we feel like we have to, and we are going to get younger, more dynamic, even if that means that maybe next year even we're not competing for a World Series. I do think that Steve Cohen's money, it certainly allows for um, you know opportunity to, to still compete while bringing up these young kids, but that I don't think will be the number one focus next year. It will not be on winning a World Series next year. It'll be about about being competitive, but the long-term growth and and sustainability, which Steve Cohen has talked a lot about, I think that is going to be first and foremost moving forward. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. So much to digest. You guys heard Gelbs before. And I don't disagree with Gelbs that things never um got on track this year. I really don't I don't I don't disagree with that. I mean, look, I've said it a thousand times. Correa not signing. And then really within a three week span, you had Diaz go down for the year. Verlander went down for a month and, and got his season started late. Those were killers. And the WBC scattering these guys all around, not having the ability for a team that, even though it was the same group, had not been together. It's not like they're a team that's been together half a decade or, or, or you know, five, six years. You know, it's almost like you had to come together, figure out what went wrong at the end of last year, and start to build together as a team. Now, I understand baseball is not like the NBA or hockey, and, and it's you don't have to predicate everything on everybody else, so to speak. If you're an individual and you have a great year 
And in your vacuum, you're Pete Alonso and you hit 40 home runs and drive 110 runs. Does it matter as long as you do that? But I think there is a certain amount of synergy with that. Now, I don't know if it had Cranepool who was on the air talking about how they're playing for themselves, how a guy really knows that. I mean, everybody's playing for themselves in some way, shape, or form. Now, if you're not moving the runner over or you're not grinding the counts out like they did last year, which to a certain degree they're not doing some of those things, then maybe I could see that point. But I don't think Ed Cranepool can make that statement. I think a lot of things went bad, and maybe we'll hear more about it after the season, maybe when somebody gets traded and wants to open up anonymously or otherwise. We'll hear about that, and maybe we can assess it at that point. But uh, a lot there by Gelbs on that. I don't agree with Gelbs saying that you know this is a uh, not a half measure. To a certain degree, it is, because if you're telling me half measures don't work, then why is this not a rebuild? I mean, there was just a report doing this during the break that it looks like the Mets are listening to offers for Verlander. Verlander said in the postgame today that he is uh, going to have a conversation with the front office. Obviously, depending on where he goes, is going to play a big part in that. And that will also play a big part in whether the Mets want to make the deal because they went to Scherzer with the Texas deal. It's not like they said, hey, where do you want to go? And he said Texas. They had to go to Scherzer. So it's, it's, it's a lot of moving parts. But what was interesting is that I had originally planned, and I have the notes written out. I wrote them out on on Friday as I was preparing for the show this weekend. One of the big segments I was going to do was one more rodeo with Verlander and Scherzer. That was going to be my message, one more rodeo. What's the harm in doing one more rodeo? Because I wasn't sure what they're going to get. And and does Acuna change my mind? I don't know. I mean, look, other than Alvarez, who's performed at an elite level, Beatty has shown no eliteness. We don't know if Mauricio is going to be an elite player. He might be a good component player, borderline all-star. Acuna sounds like that might be who he is. Vientos doesn't look like... Vientos doesn't even look like he could be a part-time DH yet with the way he's played. He certainly can't play defense. You know, Ramirez is years away in Brooklyn. I mean, Jet Williams years away, 19 years old, promising. But, you know, you don't know. You don't really have a lot in the near term to compete next year. So to me, it really smells like a rebuild again. And I don't blame Verlander for not wanting to be part of it. And if I'm Pete Alonso, I don't want to be part of it. So buckle up, guys. Some wild things could happen. And you all laughed about trading Pete Alonso, but and I don't I'm not saying they will. But I think it's something that you gotta put on the table. I really do. Why not? Why not go wild here? I mean, at this point, what to win seventy eight games with Pete in the lineup? If you're gonna if you're gonna be competitive three or four years down the road, I mean Pete's gonna be thirty two, thirty three, and you don't know how power hitters uh, as their health declines and as they age, they start to slow down on that fastball inside. You can't catch up to it. All of a sudden, he becomes a strikeout machine who pops the occasional home run. He's not the same player. And expensive if you sign him. Very expensive. The other thing as we wrap up here, and it kind of ties into what Gelb said a little bit, is that a lot of fans have been talking about how this is the most disappointing season ever. Any baseball team, any sports team, any New York team in Mets history. And I laugh because, you know, maybe in a vacuum you could say that because the expectations and the money and the feeling back around Christmas after Correa signed that, wow, the Mets are at this next level. They're not going to be stopped. They'll just buy and buy and buy, and they'll stack the deck in their favor until they get that title. And while they're doing it, they're going to build a farm system and maybe develop some guys. And, you know, I get that part. But to me, 
it's not because I still came into this year thinking, hey, they've had to spend a lot of money to make up for the lack of development and cost-controlled homegrown starters that, you know, do you think they wanted to spend $86 million of their payroll on two aces that are Hall of Famers on the wrong side of 30? They'd love to have the next generation of DeGrom and Syndergaard, Mats, Harvey from 2015. You know, I don't know if those kids we mentioned, the Tidwells and so, and so on and so forth, if those guys are anywhere near that hard. You know, everybody's going to live in the shadows of those guys, the wheelers and whatnot. I don't know. But all I do know this is that as much as they were spending, it was out of a need because they wanted to compete and win and win a World Series. It wasn't because they were just spending to spend. And I was always concerned because I'm like, you know, it's an expensive roster. The luxury tax is a necessity to compete in this day and age if you're going to have expensive stars up and down the roster. I mean, good hitters cost $25 million a year now. Good pitchers are going to cost 30 plus. 25 at least. Like, no one's giving you discounts anymore at that level. Impactful pitchers. You know, even uh, Taiwan Walker's making, what, $72 million for four years? Good pitcher. Probably number three at best. More likely a four. Like, it's expensive to have a competitive baseball team. Now, you could be the Rays and the Marlins, and you heard Eli Sussman. I mean, look at the Marlins. They are, they, they're hoping that David Robertson sneaks them into the postseason and maybe they get lightning on bottle. They did it in 03. They did it in 97. More so 03 than 97. And, you know, that's it. Then they're back to square one and they're back to the drawing board because they can't keep all these parts. They can't. So you got to spend money to stay at the top, but you got to supplement this roster with guys who can make an impact. And they just haven't been able to do that. So. I wasn't as, oh my God, this is the best team in Mets history, the best time in Mets history. I thought it was a fun time. I thought it was a great time to be a Mets fan. It was full of possibilities, and it still is. But you want to know what the most disappointing time in Mets history, and I and I will stand by this, and I absolutely believe this to be the case, is after they lost to the Yankees in the World Series because that was when they had a chance to steal the city. They really did. A generation of young fans would have fell in love with a Mets team that beat the Yankees in the Subway Series. Started with Zeal's ball not going over the wall, and it ended with that horrible Game 1 loss, and then Piazza's ball getting kicked down in center field by some magical hand off of Mariano Rivera that would have tied that game. And then not, even though they lost that series, not leveraging that. I understand not signing Hampton led to David Wright, but going big, trying to make sure they kept Hampton. Trying to make sure that they got a Rod who wanted to be there, you know, really going to the deep end of the financial pool. And look, the Wilpons probably couldn't do it. Doubleday was still around at that point, and maybe the sale with Doubleday looking to get out. You know, I, I understand that there was probably other things going on in the back end that forced the Mets not to be able to do that. But then you had O one, and then they tried to do something similar to what they did last year in O two, not as on a grandiose scale with Mulvaughn and Burnett and Robbie Alomar. I mean, that 0-1-0-2, that led to that drop-off in 3 and then Omar Manaya coming in, and similar to trying to piece it together, going Pedro, and to a certain degree, it worked for a couple of years because you had Wright and Reyes. You had impactful stars. Okay, and you had some veterans that had some life left in their game before they broke down, like Laduca, like Delgado. But, you know... 
That's disappointing. From that time when the ball landed in Bernie Williams' glove all the way to the collapse in 07, 08, you know, the fact that they couldn't sustain and take over the city in a certain way and, and, and bridge a, a level of greatness with Reyes and Wright, nonetheless, after that, very disappointing. You know, and again, if they sign Hampton, maybe they don't get right. I mean, there's a lot of things that could, there's a lot of what-ifs. You know, we did the what-if show, Met show. But I don't think this is the most disappointing. This is frustrating. The fact that we're now going to spend the better part of eight weeks talking about the farm system and Mets history and God only knows what else. It's the biggest challenge this show has had. I'll be honest with you. I'm up for it. I want to give you great content every week. I'll promise you something. You saw a lot of Mets podcasts pop up. You saw a lot of Met content creators pop up over the last couple of years since Cohen came on board. You will see them jump ship and lose interest in this so fast you won't know what hit you. It's no different than when the blogs became popular and you had the 06 Mets. Everybody was going to do a Mets blog. Guess what? They disappeared during purgatory. They popped up maybe briefly in 2015, but for the most part they disappeared after the 06, 07, 08 thing. And then they popped back in a big way when Cohen took over, especially when Correa uh, was supposedly signing. So I'm all pop up. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to try to provide you an adult product, even though I cursed today. I'm not even going to bleep it out because it's just too much work. Earmuffs. Um, so that's that. You know, it's a challenge for all of us. I had a completely different show plan for you. It's a ghost to show you the best laid plans. I had a great opening. I was going to address the Robertson trade and how people were angry that they waited so long. But think about it. If he, they had waited on Robertson while they were trying to figure out the Scherzer deal, Miami wasn't going to sit around and wait for the Mets. And maybe they couldn't get any better. They didn't pick up any of that money. Not that it was a ton, but they didn't pick up any of that money. So, um, and then we were going to do one more rodeo, Scherzer and Verlander. But I guess Steve Cohen and Billy Upler had other ideas. So what's next? Well, um, we're going to come to you every week. Uh, I definitely am curious what the next couple of days brings. If Verlander's traded, we'll be back. I'm not sure a Cano or Fam trade will do it. I definitely think at some point in August we're going to have to do a farm system update and kind of get maybe get our friend Ernie Dove or someone else. I'd like to start looking at some of these young pitchers down in in the minors, the Christian Scotts, the Tyler Stewarts, the Blade Tidwells. I like to get a feel of what we really have there on the Mets side because I think they're going to play a big part whether or not they can establish some kind of uh, rotation of any uh, stability and consistency. You can't buy rotation every year, and rotations are expensive. So we'll talk about that, and we'll do some Mets history. And then, you know, it's football season. A lot of you are probably going to check out, and I understand that. It happens when the Mets are out of the race. I've been down this road between the NYBD website, the show over the years, and we just do Mets baseball. It's not like we can pivot and say, oh, let's talk about the Jets. Let's talk about Aaron Rodgers. Let's talk about the Knicks coming up. Let's talk about the Brooklyn Nets. Let's talk about the Giants. Let's talk about Rangers hockey. You can't do that here. It's a Mets show. Um, but I could promise you this. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to try my best to give you good, entertaining content because I know there are people that are diehards and want to think and talk and eat and drink Mets even when they're not in the best of shape. I don't think things are terribly bad, but I'm a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little nervous because I, I hope there's a a plan outside of accumulating prospects to entice a David Stearns to take the job. 
that's what I'm afraid of. You know, I, I this is kind of a pivot. It was almost like they were staying in one frame line. We're going to go for the, you know, we'll, we'll trade our free agents, but we're going to keep the core of the team together. And, and I don't know if Acuna is good enough for me. And maybe I'm wrong. We'll see. I could be wrong is a good enough prospect for me to do the the, the strip down without Verla- uh, Scherzer. Now, maybe that start in Boston, they had enough. Because beating the Nats doesn't impress me. Boston, week earlier, that was a disappointing, the second game of the doubleheader. Maybe they think he's done. Maybe they're right. We'll see. In you know three, four days, he's going to be out in Texas. I know Texas comes to City Field. I don't know if his turn of the rotation will be part of that. It'll be interesting to see. Um, But it's crazy times to be a Mets fan. But I will be here... I'm not going anywhere. All right, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the latest edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. You can check me out at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet, at Mike Silva Media. And you can join Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com, no G. Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. You can get me on Instagram, talkingmetsnog. And, of course, I want to thank our good sponsors, the good folks at the Fan Side and Podcasting Network, as well as right now. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Buckle up. Trade deadline. We don't know what the hell is going to happen. Until next time, take care. Beat the Mets. Beat the Mets. Beat the Mets. Beat the Mets. Meet the Mets. Head for the park. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.